0: Welcome to Bankless, where we explore the frontier of internet money and internet finance. This is how to get started, how to get better, how to front run the opportunity. This is Ryan Sean Adams. I'm here with David Hoffman, and we're here to help you become more bankless. Today, we are going to explore the Cosmos together. This is the Cosmos thesis. We brought on Zachy and Sunny, who are developers, app developers, and longtime Cosmos community members to talk about the Cosmos thesis. This, I think, will give you a zero to 60. On Cosmos in ninety minutes. I think it's a canonical episode for this community, for this ecosystem. In fact, the guests said as they were leaving, this is probably the best Cosmos episode they've ever recorded. You've ever heard, yeah? You be the judge after this episode. A few things to look out for. Number one, we talk about the Cosmos thesis itself, how it's similar versus how it's different to Ethereum. Number two, we talk about Ethereum as a tree versus Cosmos as a fungus. If that makes no sense to you now, listen to the episode and you'll see what we mean. The difference between the fat protocol thesis and the tall app thesis. That's another distinction we make. And Atom 2.0, a new white paper, was just released with new token economics and a whole new Cosmos hub design. We talk about the new features and differences in that design. We also asked Zaki and Sunny if they think Atoms could one day flip Ether in terms of total crypto market cap. David, there's so much we unpacked in this episode. Why are we talking about it, Cosmos that is, and what should listeners look out for as they listen? The
1: Cosmos ecosystem, the Cosmos community, the Cosmos philosophy has always paired nicely with Ethereum while also being different. I remember reading the Cosmos white paper in 2018 and really having like an aha moment. It's like, yo, this is something real that's new. And it was specifically about cross-chain interoperability. And even when I was talking to Sonny at ECC forever ago, he said, like, the Cosmos and Ethereum communities have always been very philosophically aligned. And I think when we get into this episode, the listeners should really pay attention to, I think, the accepted truth that Cosmos and Ethereum converge at their logical conclusion in their design philosophy at the same place. They both believe in the same general outcome of how these ecosystems look like. Where they differ is how they get there. And how they get there, the genesis stories for these chains, does impact what these things ultimately look like. Cosmos started its journey as a network of interconnected, sovereign application chains that weave themselves together, later adding a shared security model. Ethereum started its journey with the central security model of Ether, proof of work, a canonical single monolithic chain, folding into now the beacon chain, and then many chains organize around it. We have the app chain model in Cosmos. We have the Layer Three model in Ethereum. We're each going after the same design structures. So the listeners should really pay attention to what are the net consequences of a system that emphasized the security first, which is Ethereum, and Ether the asset first, which is Ethereum, versus an ecosystem that emphasized the sovereign app chain model first and then added security later. What are the net effects of that? We've used this metaphor in Bankless, and I use this in the podcast that if you re-roll the dice of the crypto industry over and over and over again you will see something like Ethereum unfold out of that 100% of the time, 99.9% of the time. And I think that's also true for Cosmos. And that is why I think the Cosmos and Ethereum is like two sides of the same coin. We will always see these two models. And I think these two models, the app chain model, the central security model of Ethereum, That is what crypto has to offer. These are the logical conclusions of crypto design philosophy, in my opinion. So I think with that context, I think the listeners should be pretty well equipped to go into this episode and get completely downloaded as to the whole Cosmos vision.
0: The other thing, of course, to think about as you're listening to this episode is where are the investment opportunities in Cosmos? And David, I think I want to talk to you a little bit about that, some of my thoughts on investment opportunities, but we'll save that for the debrief. And of course, the debrief is available for you. who are premium members it's our episode after the episode where we talk about the episode that was upgrade to premium membership if you want to catch that as well full disclosure going in i own adam tokens it does not represent more than five percent of my holdings. We take disclosures very seriously at Bankless. So we're starting to mention them at the top of every episode. There's always a link in the show notes if you want access to see all of our bags. Our full disclosures are located there. Guys, we're gonna get right to the episode with Zaki and Sunny from Cosmos. But before we do, we wanna thank the sponsors that made this episode possible.
1: The Brave Wallet is your secure multi-chain on-ramp into Web3 and is built directly into the Brave privacy browser. Gone are the days of managing multiple wallet extensions that put you at risk of phishing, spoofs, and tracking. With the Brave Wallet, you can securely manage your crypto assets across more than hundred different chains, including Ethereum, Layer 2s, Solana, and more, all without downloading risky extensions. Brave Wallet is easy to set up and removes the headache of jumping between wallets and extensions. It's lightweight, but packed with great features like built-in token swaps, buying and holding NFTs with a gallery view, and support for hardware wallets. But also much more than that, because Brave is shipping new features every single month with a mission to make Web3 easier to navigate for its over 55 million users. Wallet extensions are a thing of the past. So get started with Brave's Web3 Ready browser today and experience a decentralized web seamlessly without all the clutter. You can download the browser at brave.com slash bankless and click the wallet icon to get started. The Layer 2 era is upon us. Ethereum's Layer 2 ecosystem is growing every day and we need Layer 2 bridges to be fast and efficient in order to live a Layer 2 life. Across is the fastest, cheapest, and most secure cross-chain bridge. With Across, you don't have to worry about high fees or long wait times. Assets are bridged and available for use almost instantaneously. Across's bridges are powered by UMA's optimistic Oracle to securely transfer tokens between Layer 2s and Ethereum. Across its critical ecosystem infrastructure and Across V2 has just launched. Their new version focuses on higher capital. Efficiency, layer two to layer two transfers, and a brand new chain with Polygon, all while prioritizing high security and low fees. You can be a part of Across's story by joining their Discord and using Across for all of your layer two transferring needs. So go to Across.to to quickly and securely bridge your assets between Ethereum, Optimism, Polygon, Arbitrum, or Boba networks.
0: Bankless Nation, we are talking Cosmos today with two of the best experts we could find in the space. Sunny Agarwal is a crypto OG. He's been in the Cosmos ecosystem since the very beginning. He's a man of many hats. He's been all around the space. He started the blockchain at Berkeley, a uh, student club. This was the largest student organization for the crypto world at the time. And he's also the co-host of the Epicenter podcast. Sonny, how are you doing? I'm
2: doing great. You know, Just got off of three days of Cosmoverse, which is the big Cosmos conference. And so in decompression mode right now.
0: I understand that both of you guys are recovering from Cosmosverse. Hopefully, we'll get some of that energy back into this podcast as we go through. We also have Zach Emanian. He also wears many hats in the Cosmos and crypto space. He's been in the Cosmos ecosystem from the very beginning as well. He helped chip most recently Cosmos's IBC, which is an interchain blockchain protocol. He's also working on the validator. Ecosystem. He's been an advisor to Electric Coin Company. You remember Zuko and team from Zcash. And he is a co founder of a staking provider as well. Absolutely. Zaki, welcome to Bankless. How are you doing? I'm
3: doing great. Cosmoverse was the best but like I'm glad that I, I flew out of Colombia. I was like, do I stay in Colombia for Devcon? And then I <laughs> I was so tired. I was like, I'm going to leave, I'll like mm-hmm. recharge, come back. So this was in Colombia then. Yeah, we did it in Medellin, Colombia.
0: Well, you know, Colombia is getting a lot of love this year from the crypto community with Devcon being there and Cosmos first being there for sure. It's great.
3: There's actually a Bitcoin cafe, like a crypto cafe in Medellin that we got to do some events at. I think Bogota is going to be very different, but from the experience of Medellin, ended up being phenomenal.
1: How was the conference for people that weren't able to attend and also people that are wondering what the temperature is during the bear market? What was the energy like? What was the vitality like? How many people were there? Fill us in on what the Cosmosverse conference was like.
2: I don't think you could tell that it was a bear market. This is the second Cosmoverse. We had the first one was last year in Lisbon. It was like a sandwich in between like ETH Lisbon and the Solana conference. And I think there were maybe like 500 or so people there at CosmoVerse this year. I think there was about fifteen hundred people, so it's like three times bigger. Wow. While we're in a bear market, and like you know, last time there was a lot of like overflow traffic coming from the other places. It's like here, it's like everyone who came here like came for CosmoVerse, right? And like shows how much like there's a lot of excitement and
3: like growth in the last year, one year, even
1: and a little harder to get to than Lisbon. <laughs>
3: you know, you weren't already there for other stuff, where it's like, yeah, I'd say a third or more people were just like, okay. Like, I'm in town for Breakpoint and for NearCon, I might as well do Cosmoverse 2. Again, the origin of this conference is, like, very typical of Cosmos, which is, like, a person uh, named Crypto Cito. He's a YouTuber, uh, has a relatively popular YouTube channel about crypto. He got interested in Cosmos in early 2021. He started to build up a following in the community Jack Zamplin who is my co-founder at another one of my projects called Sommelier Finance has another validator business and I was also like a core dev in the ecosystem so Jack and I had been kind of looking for people to help us bring the message of Cosmos to the world and we found that you know Cryptocedo was doing a really good job we had taken a, there was a marketing DAO that was set up called Prop34 took money from the cosmos hub treasury we ended up spending what was remaining in that to sponsor and like give cryptocito the funds to do lisbon this time it was like multiple chains so it was the same person now you know held this much larger conference in a much more difficult location Uh, he had a staff like 150 people working on it it was sponsored directly from governance proposals from multiple cosmos chains And, you know, 1,600 people could throw up. There were after parties and events every night. It did not feel like a bear market at all. And then, like, the other thing that was really unique about this is there's literally never been a Cosmos conference where anything was announced. Like, really. The little chains would announce stuff, but, like, ecosystem-level announcements had never happened before at a conference. And we actually were able to do both the Atom 2.0 white paper and the announcement of USDC coming natively to Cosmos uh, at our conference.
2: David, I remember like we talked about ETC when we had our interview there. I said ETC is my favorite conference. Uh, and part of it is because, you know, I just always feel that ETC has a very community just the fact that it's a community organized conference rather than foundation organized conference. It always had like a more interesting energy to it to me than even Devcon. I like ETC better than Devcon and like every other ecosystem. It's always like foundation-thought conferences, right? Cosmos Feels very much like ECC for the same reason. It's not a foundation-thrown conference. It is like a random community member decided to do
1: this. Yeah, and it's very emblematic of what Cosmos actually is, which is a little bit more bottom-up than Top down orchestrated. Would you credit the success of this conference? While Verse was harder to get to in a different part of the world, three times as many people showed up while crypto prices have gone in one-third. Right. And so, you know, one third the amount of capital in this space, yet three times the amount of people showed up. Where's all this energy in Cosmos coming from? What would you guys credit the vitality, uh, the source of vitality here? I mean, Cosmos as an ecosystem
2: has just grown a lot, I think, especially, you know, in the last three, four months, I think, I think the DYDX sort of announcement of like switching over to Cosmos, you know, I know Zaki was pretty involved with that. What like that, I think, just got a lot of people's attention. And, people are like, wait, here's this like project that's like been building on Ethereum forever. And like, you know, why did they suddenly decide to like make this sort of switch, right? And so people started looking at the reasons that why like DYDX did it and started learning more about, you know, the Cosmos thesis is very complex. And like, you know, when you're switching from Ethereum to, I don't know, Avalanche, like, oh, okay, cool. It's faster. Yeah. It's like, no, but like, you know, when you're switching to Cosmos, there's like a whole set of like fundamentally different things that we're doing that like, when they with the DOIDX announcement, people started to actually look into that. And I think a lot of people just got very interested in the theses that we have at Cosmos. And that it kind of just like snowballed
3: like from there over the last few months. Before we break down, I think, the thesis and how this like really complicated idea of how we're different from Ethereum and how we're basically different from the blockchains that most people are probably familiar with, also say it was just like... We are also basically four or five months out from the Terra collapse. And Luna was built on top of the Cosmos technology stack. It was part of Cosmos. It was connected to IBC. The anchor carry trade passed through both the Cosmos hub and Osmosis in a very large way. So we were very economically connected to it. Its collapse felt like it was a devastating blow to the ecosystem. Almost everybody lost money. It was a huge thing. And it's certainly, if we want to talk about, you know, how we all feel about the whole UST story, but it did feel like there was a moment at which there was a bottom there where we kind of felt like, you know, it was like unclear whether or not Cosmos was really going to, uh, how long it was going to take us to recover. And the recovery happened like far more quickly than anyone anticipated. Basically, I got so much busier in like two weeks after the Terra collapse, and it's just like not slowed down. Like, uh, at all since then.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. You're right. This is not long after the Terra collapse. It, would you guys believe that was just like less than five months ago when that whole thing imploded? And I can't believe it.
3: It's been a wild five months for us.
0: <laughs> yeah, I bet. And um, there's definitely a lot of excitement. One thing uh, you know, I've been observing, of course, in the Cosmos ecosystem is the amount of building that's going on. There's also this kind of renewed interest, maybe through DYDX and others, but even in the Ethereum community, around uh, app chains, which I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit more. And really, I think our goal for this episode is, David and I cover a lot in the kind of the Ethereum ecosystem on the podcast, right? So you guys have to teach two Ethereum idiots like what Cosmos is, what it's all about, I will say I was involved in the Cosmos ecosystem in the early days. And so it's always been a community that's been kind of, um, I've been observing and I've liked and I've appreciated kind of the efforts of, but you guys have come a long way as well. Cosmos, the idea has come a long way and we want to talk about uh, that trajectory. I think we also want to talk a little bit about the Terra Luna collapse, but let's save that maybe until a little bit later. First, let's talk Cosmos, the idea and David, said this to me before we recorded, that you told him, Sonny, Cosmos has been called an idea more than an actual thing. Those are your words, I think. Cosmos isn't a thing, it's more of an idea. What do you mean by that? What is the idea of Cosmos? What is the central thesis?
2: Yeah, the central thesis of Cosmos was that we are going to see a world of not a few blockchains, but many, many blockchains most of them being application specific blockchains or app chains and there's no such thing as a single final settlement layer in the real world there is no final settlement layer we're going to have many many settlement layers and every blockchain is going to be the settlement layer for its own native assets and its own native state and that's what gives it fundamentally sovereignty right rollups and other you know systems they don't have true sovereignty from the main chain, right? The main chain is what finally dictates, it's the final arbiter of truth in in this globalized system. While Cosmos is a very, we're all like localists basically, we believe that like, hey, we're not trying to build the world computer as Ethan Buckman puts it, we're trying to build community computers and let these
3: community computers all talk to each other. I know, Zaki, you wanna add anything Um, to that? All I will say is, So there's another thing that Sunny and that like the Cosmos thesis really believes, which is one of the things we say is that like Cosmos is coming to kill your fat protocol thesis. (laughs) So the fat protocol thesis is the way that blockchains will accrue value is that you'll build a blockchain. It'll typically a protocol with a token. That token will have a bunch of apps on top of it. But because the infrastructure layer and the network effects around it are represented by the token, that's where the most value will accrue. And the Cosmos thesis has been, from the get-go, that where the value accrual layer is, is the app layer. It's the application layer that is the thing that is closest to the users. It's the application layer where intent and order flow and everything originates. And that's the layer of the system where the value will accrue. And we basically purpose-built a blockchain stack for people to build the best possible app layers Rather than thinking that like, hey, I've built another fat protocol.
2: An analogy that I like to pull to is like, if you're in the early web in the 1990s, a lot of people were thinking that the way to bet on the web was AOL and CompuServe. But now with like retrospect, we know it was Google and Amazon, right? The apps are what were sticky and actually had user relationships and the infrastructure layers really actually what ended up happening was the biggest apps actually ended up building their own infrared layers and became actually the biggest infra providers as well through like AWS but really it is the app developers are the ones who move between infrastructure providers but users are sticky to the applications.
0: So we want to leave that out there. So one idea you're presenting is uh, rather than fat protocol, fat app thesis. That'd be a way to summarize what you just said. Cosmos is fat app.
2: I actually like this term called tall apps, because one of the things, at least with osmosis, what we really believe in is like vertical integration. So like we build our front end, we build our Dex modules, but we build the chain itself. And we just happen to build like the primary wallet for the cosmos ecosystem as well, but we have this like what we actually take a lot of inspiration from is like Apple, which is like a very vertically integrated system, but that like gives them I think the best UX of any product line, right and so I call these the tall apps, right Verti- highly vertically integrated
1: so just to put a, a visual a metaphor on this whole thing, ethereum it's got this one canonical layer one, and then we have A proliferation of layer twos there's like five or six real big ones right now is like a a big conversation going on in the ethereum space with layer threes and this kind of looks like a tree there's like a big central tree trunk there are like four or five smaller branches but still pretty big that come out of this tree trunk and then they fracture off into like thousands and thousands of smaller branches and twigs that eventually turn into leaves and maybe these leaves can be like the applications that you know Capture the energy of the sun, for example. But it all collapses down to a central point, a central trunk. And that was really the Ethereum beacon chain and ETH staking at the very, very bottom of this whole thing. The Cosmos model is a little more of a mesh network. I kind of want to say a spider web, but even a spider web has kind of like a center point, but it still kind of looks like a more flat. There's not actually a point in the middle. And these things weave together as like just a net.
3: The actual metaphor is or like the correct analogy is like a fungus the mycelial networks Mm. that like (laughs) pervade the like forests and the earth Mm -hmm. and do make it so that the trees can actually live you know right
1: (laughs) yes you have definitely used this metaphor but much better than i have but that's definitely right uh it's google searching mycelial network for those that don't have an image in their head as a result of that will definitely definitely help and so the idea here is that like The cool thing about the mycelial networks is that they're just like automatically resilient because there is no central focal point. Can you guys kind of just like lean into this metaphor and help me unpack it a little bit more?
3: So I think one of the big things that we've really believed in Cosmos is we do think that like if there was like a core difference of vision, let's say between like Sunny and I and Vitalik, which is, okay, like Vitalik's view is like monetary premiums are really hard. And it's really hard to build like a secure decentralized censorship resistant system without securing it using a monetary premium. So you have this thing with where, where you have the root monetary premium chain, which is the beacon chain, and then everything descends from that monetary premium chain is secured by and like reinforces with that monetary premium chain. You know, Sunny at Cosmoverse presented this idea of mesh security, where Cosmos chains actually opt into additional slashing conditions around each other we believe in like ad hoc economic networks forming so you know you have these natural trade routes of which the ust carry trade was one of them but like you have trade routes between atom and osmosis you have number of large crypto exchanges run their own cosmos chains, including okx and crypto.com so then you have trade routes between their user bases and other cosmos chains and you see this like what we are sort of expecting is this like network of value to form between these community computers and like some of the ideas that we're exploring now and are sort of in our vision of the future is to make sure that security can travel with economic interdependence but you don't need this like root structure yeah
2: like an example of this it would be chains provide bilateral security agreements with each other so in this app chain model people have always asked like oh how are you going to get enough security on every individual app chain The analogy I like to give, I like geopolitical analogies. So for me, the example is NATO. NATO is a collective of sovereign countries. They all have their own governance systems. They don't meddle in each other's internal politics. But they have a mesh security system, right? If Article 5 says that if any one of the NATO countries gets attacked, they all rush to each other's defense. And I think the same thing will happen with Cosmos chains as well. And I think what Zaki's point was, it'll be based a lot off of economic relationships. So I'll give an example of Osmosis and Axelar. So Axelar is you know, currently the most popular bridge between Ethereum and the Cosmos ecosystem. Osmosis is the DEX. Osmosis makes up about 70% of Axelar's TVL right now, while four of the top 10 assets on Osmosis are ETH, WBTC, DAI, and USDC are coming via the Axelar bridge. So it's like, hey, we have such high economic relationship with each other, it would suck a lot for Osmosis if Axelar got like attacked. If it sucked for Axelar if Osmosis got attacked, we should be both providing shared security to each other, basically, right? Osmo holders should be putting up economic stake Backing Axelar validators, while Axel stakers should be putting up economic stake backing Osmosis validators. So basically, by these two systems doing mess security with each other, they actually have the economic value of both of the market caps combined, securing each chain. And you can imagine that this scales with more and more chains. You know, we'll have a network of five chains, 10 chains, and all the sum value of all of the app chains, you know, it'll provide greater or equal security that to like these L1 systems today.
0: Can we talk about the trade-off here, which is a trade-off I think Cosmos has made from the very early days, and Zaki just alluded to it, and Sunny, I think you also alluded to it in your answer, which is sacrificing monetary premium, essentially saying that the token at the bottom of a layer one chain does not need to, and perhaps should be designed not to, accrue monetary premium. So coming from maybe kind of the Bitcoin space and also now the Ethereum space, obviously for Bitcoin, monetary premium is the thing. That is the app of Bitcoin, right? And Ethereum, I think the community has most recently and more recently adopted monetary premium as part of its security defense force. And when we've had Justin Drake and others on the podcast, it's kind of like maybe less the fat protocol thesis and more kind of the fat money thesis, which is the idea that if you can, create monetary premium in your base layer asset, you essentially get like free security. It's like memetic security for your entire network, for the entire tree trunk and all of the chains that are built on top. And so why not, number one? And then also secondly, how can other layer ones compete against essentially free security, against a chain and an ecosystem with monetary premium? And this is something I think Adams has you know, Cosmos and atoms being the token of the Cosmos hub, at least, which is just one hub in the mesh network, of course, is not the thing. The Cosmos universe is much larger than just one hub. But in the Cosmos hub design, it's been kind of sacrificed. The idea of atoms is not to accrue a monetary premium, but it seems like you're giving that up. What about this trade-off? Sonny, what do you think? So about
2: getting the free economic security, I actually think that the mesh security is actually a non-rent extractive way of getting Uh, free economic security. When you're building on top of an L1 that has this monetary premium, there is actually some, you know, rent that's being extracted, whether it's like, you know, being forced to pay transaction fees in that token or giving the MEV value to that base layer or while with the app chain system, you don't and you use economic relationships to naturally forming economic relationships to provide that security basis. So this might anger some of your listeners, but, uh, I remember I had a tweet a little while ago saying that, like, hot take, the Cosmos ecosystem is a bunch of undercover Bitcoin maxis. And (laughs) I know you replied to that, like, yes, I realized this two years ago. And (laughs) for me, I actually started building, working on Cosmos because I wanted to build the app layer for Bitcoin. I was working on Ethereum stuff for a while. I was at consensus for a little bit. And to me, the I don't know, the the monolithic world model didn't make sense. And I was like, okay, wait a second. Bitcoin is an app chain. Maybe we just need to kind of build more app chains and have everything, you know, we can build the app layer for Bitcoin. Bitcoin will just remain this simple chain. And its only purpose is to, you know, control the issuance of the Bitcoin system. And then BTC will flow off of the Bitcoin chain and be the main money of the entire Cosmos network that we're building. You know, I guess I'm a little bit less of a Bitcoin monetary maxi as I used to be, but you know, I, I would I'd definitely put myself more in that camp. You dabble.
0: You still dabble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I
2: dabble. I dabble. But here's there's actually a new project that like kind of um came out of hiding a little bit at Cosmoverse, which I'm really excited about. It's called Babylon. It's actually a way of using Bitcoin's like monetary premium security layer. To provide security to all the Cosmos chains and, and any proof of stake chain. So what it is is it's a way of checkpointing proof of stake block headers into Bitcoin's proof of work system, augmenting proof of stake security with the proof of work security of Bitcoin. And you know you kind of actually get a lot of cool benefits with this. You get like proof of stake, really secure in short time frames, fast finality, all that. Not really secure in long time frames with whole long range attacks and all this kind of stuff. Proof of work not very secure in the short time frames really secure in long time frames and if you actually overlay these systems together you actually get a little bit of the best of both worlds and so i don't know i think babylon is actually in a little way like bringing back that idea of like using the base monetary premium chain and having it provide security to all of these chains as well but in this sort of like mesh network paradigm you know it's not it's an opt in system it's chains that want to use babylon can it's not a like a hard requirement
0: before we get to Zaki with the same question, one other follow-up for you, Sonny. So isn't this the problem, though, when we take something like Bitcoin and we port this to Cosmos, is we lose the root economic security of Bitcoin. Now Bitcoin becomes like a lesser secure Bitcoin, than native Bitcoin on the Bitcoin blockchain. So native Bitcoin on the Bitcoin blockchain, of course, is secured by all of the miners, right? It's, it's got Bitcoin-level sovereign resistant uh, security guarantees. Now when we move Bitcoin to Cosmos, now we have to trust whatever app chain set of validators for our security of that Bitcoin asset becomes a less secure asset when it's ported in that way because we're not sharing the security. Isn't this a, a challenge that you see?
2: Yeah, getting secure bridges to Bitcoin is definitely an important focus. You know, something that we're definitely want to help promote more of, right? Like we've been trying to help Jeremy Rubin with like getting some of the ops TV stuff and like, you know, more secure covenants on Bitcoin, which will allow for more secure bridges effectively. I'm a big fan of the the drive chains model. Drive chains is effectively like how you would do IBC for Bitcoin. What I've learned is that like pushing on Bitcoin development too hard, like if you, the more you push at it, the more it's like kind of pushes back at you. And so we're building for the long term here. And I think the Bitcoin core developers have like a 10 year, 50 year, 20 year mindset, you know, and I think the core primitives that will make Bitcoin be able to securely have the same trust assumptions as IBC, will exist within a few years.
0: Zaki, what's your take on this whole uh, monetary premium thing? Do you think it's much ado about nothing? Do you think monetary premium actually doesn't matter as much as maybe bankless and kind of the Ethereum and Bitcoin community think it does?
3: I think too many teams who build L1s. So one thing that I think is sort of important to remember about Cosmos is Cosmos is a 2014 project. I started hanging out with Jay. We've been working on it and talking about and thinking about Cosmos. Back since then, it's gone through many names, but basically the core thesis has been the same. We are very long-term builders. We were building the stuff before there was any money in it. We'll be building it, you know, if the money goes away. It's an idea that seems so correct that it just has to be built. So in that spirit of building for the very long term, I really don't believe in building something that's so fragile that if you like sort of lose the meme, the whole thing collapses, right? Honestly, I admire Ethereum's current monetary premium. I think Vitalik, Justin, Danny have done an extraordinary job. They don't really always listen to me, but you know.
2: We saw that with Terra a little bit, right? They lost the meme and the entire system collapsed.
3: Exactly, right? So start by building a system that is secure in the absence of a monetary premium. If you happen to also get a monetary premium, great. You get like this additional security, additional value. You could do things differently with. But if you don't happen to have that and you still built a sound system, then it'll keep going. And, you know, we've seen the flip, the other side of it, which was also built on our tech, which is like, what does it look like when you build a completely unsound system? The minute you lose the meme, everything dies, which
0: was Luna. Let's earmark uh, this question for later, because since we're on the topic of monetary premium, we'll come back to Adam 2.0 and the new economics that were introduced. But just really quick, Zaki, so we can earmark this for later in the episode is Adam 2.0 increasing the potential for monetary premium of Atoms, in your mind, does it make it a better money?
3: It absolutely is. It is part of the vision of Atom 2.0.
0: That's part of the design.
3: It is part of the vision to increase the possibility, increase the probability, that Atom may have a monetary premium. That is cool. That's a big deal. That
0: is cool. That makes me, as a monetary premium maximalist, (laughs) which I probably am, in addition to a decentralization maximalist, it's cool to see the uh, Cosmos community doing that. Can I give a little
2: example of what the mesh security and other like justification of it? Gold is probably the one bare asset in the world that has the most monetary premium right now. It has a market cap of about $11 trillion. The top 10 companies by market cap in the world have a higher market cap than gold combined. And so, and that's the app chain model, right? It's like, oh, value comes from real actual like revenue streams and like, same way that company market caps come from. And so if the top 10 companies in the world have a greater market cap than gold, why can't the top 10 app chains have a greater market cap and security system than a monetary premium based security model?
0: So your point there, Sonny, is about like total economic security. And that economic security does not need to come from monetary premium. It can come from a productive asset that is adding value. So like Facebook stock, for example. Yep. And, like, if you have the top 10 companies, then you get market cap exceeding gold. It's interesting. So, in this mesh network model of security, what's
1: stopping one chain from just being way more useful and central than the others? And might that chain also beget some network effects and some liquidity premiums? And so, while it all starts off as like a pretty diffuse mycelial network that's very horizontal, one chain, call it osmosis, as like the liquidity center of Cosmos? What's stopping osmosis from kind of just like positioning itself in the very center of everything? Because everything has to hook into osmosis for liquidity. And then while the Cosmos idea, the Cosmos ecosystem never actually created like a beacon chain, right? An actual this is the center. What's stopping something like osmosis from basically becoming that Anyways,
0: and what in your answer, Sonny, Could you just define what osmosis is for people who are not familiar with the Cosmos ecosystem?
2: Yeah, sure. Osmosis is a uh, it's a Dex app chain, right? So currently, it's an AMM based system, but you know we're adding more concentrated liquidity style stuff, and you know our goal was to build the best Dex possible, and you know we looked at like. Other dexes on other ecosystems, whether it's Uniswap or Serum, everything's always like constrained with the limitations of the platform it's built on. And we had a lot of ideas about how UX should work, how like new functionality, especially around like privacy, and like we just were so constrained by building on like you know we actually thought about like building it on an EVM, and like this doesn't actually work. The things we're trying to do won't work on here. And so by having our own chain that we can go you know, especially if you want to do a lot of stuff at the privacy layer, right? You know, we need to go be able to change how the cryptography in the code base works while we also have to go change how the wallets work. And like, you know, you have to have this like full stack control. And that's sort of what we did. So this IBC thing, this inter-blockchain communication protocol that allows Cosmos chains to talk to each other, it, it had existed for a little while. But then Osmosis sort of came along and like, it was like the first killer app of Cosmos, right? And there are already more i think killer apps coming and but right now it is sort of where the center of user activity and liquidity has aggregated
0: you'd say it's the first but would you disclude terra luna just cuz it blew up because that was looking like a killer app a year ago so terra <laughs>
2: luna was a pretty killer app they killer <laughs> They took a little bit longer to activate IBC. So Kara was had quite a bit of traction, but they were using the Cosmos SDK stack. And then they acted I, I mean, I've talked to them about it. You know, they're like, oh, there's no benefit of connecting to the Cosmos ecosystem, you know, where the only app. And then Osmosis came along and they're like, oh, okay, there's something worth connecting to, which is why they activated IBC. Back to your question about like what we're building here is highly organic systems. That's the whole premise of Cosmos is like, you know, you let organic systems arise and you let like uh, you know, the natural network effects happen and, you know, natural connections will happen. And in any organic system, Hayekian system, you have power laws, right? It is fundamental to the nature of how Hayekian systems work that there will be power laws. And, you know, obviously as an Osmosis developer, I intend Osmosis to be at a certain end of the spectrum on those power laws. But I think our goal is not to be, we're not trying to build a hub and spoke system, right? I think that would defeat the entire point of what we're trying to do with Cosmos. And that's why Osmosis is contributing heavily to like, things like mesh security and like, a lot of people had asked us like, hey, why aren't you doing hot routing through osmosis, right? You have all this assets flowing through osmosis. If someone wanted to send a token from Regen chain to secret network chain, for example, we had the opportunity to allow it to all go flow through osmosis. But like that's just not the vision for how Cosmos works. And we like specifically said, no, 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 this like whole system is bad. Everything should be doing point to point routing. All chains are the router, the hub, for their own native assets. And so I think that's also kind of why we wanted to build this first app chain as well, was so that our team, you know, me and Dave and other folks, we had spent three years building the core stack of, you know, building the SDK and IBC. And at some point, we wanted to go build an application. And by building the application, we can kind of help set how, you know, be the good actor that sets the cultural norms for how app chains should be built.
1: So, in that answer, is the answer yes, a chain could become the liquidity focal point of the entire Cosmos ecosystem, but we will also build surface area and routes around that liquidity center that doesn't like formally instantiate it as a winner. Even though it might be winning, it is not the winner and will never be like locked in there. Is that a summary of your answer? David, doesn't it just feel like
0: Uniswap basically on Ethereum? Yeah.
1: Yes. You know, Uniswap has quite a bit of competition.
2: They still make up over 50% of volumes on Ethereum, but like still a free and fair market that like, you know, if Uniswap goes down, Ethereum doesn't die, right? There's so many alternatives that things can flow through as well.
1: I think the difference, though, is that Uniswap is largely a platform for Ether liquidity more than it is Uni liquidity. And when there is an absence of a monetary premium asset that's like instantiated or formalized in the Cosmos ecosystem, perhaps the osmosis token becomes that asset. If it is providing its own liquidity to its own asset and the osmosis token is the most liquid asset inside of Cosmos and starts to become the money of Cosmos, I think that's a difference there that's worth poking at a little bit because then that does start to like bacon the Osmosis token more formally into the broader Cosmos ecosystem than Uniswap does for the Uni token? Because then the Osmosis token starts to fill the role that Ether plays in the Ethereum ecosystem. What would you think about this? Yeah, so we did do a little bit of that where like Osmo is the base liquidity pair of
2: most of these pools, but I actually don't think that's going to be a lasting thing because as we move towards more concentrated liquidity and order book style systems, I think the UX kind of demands for stable coins to be the quote asset for most of these pairs. Uh, you know, people, if they're putting concentrated liquidity positions, they want to say, hey, I want to put it between 90 cents and a dollar 10, right? Not like denominated things in Osmo. So, another thing though is like, we're not just the Cosmos deck, or it depends on what you call Cosmos. Like, funny enough, you know, we're actually the second biggest decks for DOT. (laughs) That (laughs) is funny. So we have a lot of DOT coming over. We have ETH and WBTC are the third and fourth most liquid assets on Osmosis. And, you know, we are working on building up connections to more ecosystems. You know, one of our goals is we want to be the place that if you have ETH on Ethereum and you want AVAX on Avalanche, Osmosis should be the best place to route it, both from a UX perspective and liquidity perspective.
0: I don't know if this is true with respect to monetary premiums, but I have always seen the Cosmos ecosystem, that they sort of import different monies into their kind of Mm -hmm. trade route network rather than build up their own monies. Maybe things are changing with Atoms and kind of the new design, and that's being more conducive to monetary premium. But importing Bitcoin, for example, tokenized version of Bitcoin, importing ETH, now more recently importing USDC, which has got to be a big boom to the Cosmos community. Zaki, do you have any thoughts on this? And just in general, how big do you think is the move for Circle and USDC to be now supported on Cosmos? Are you kind of a stablecoin maximalist? And do you have any issues with this particular stablecoin design that it's a bit more centralized, for instance?
3: So, okay, I wanted to make a couple of points that like, just kind of pop the stack a little bit that like all descend really nicely down this. So one thing that I think is very different about another thing that's a a real difference between Cosmos and Ethereum is that in Cosmos, most of the core devs also work on apps versus in Ethereum. There's like, like you go to like Dev Connect in Amsterdam and you see this like massive disconnect between like the Ethereum core dev community and the Ethereum app community in Cosmos. Well known core devs inside of Cosmos and the people who sort of guide and steward the other core devs who don't want to think about app layer concerns, almost every one of them has an app. So, like, I have Sommelier Finance. I also work on Agoric and Agoric stablecoin called IST. I work on the USDC chain or the generalized asset issuance chain that USDC is coming onto, you know, and I helped close the deal and the announcement. And so, there's like this whole, like, gives this very different feeling to the whole ecosystem. And also, kind of helps solidify this whole, oh, it's going to be a mesh instead of it's going to be like centralized around one thing. Because we all have our own apps. We all have our own you know, economic incentives to like, make sure that like, different coins in the ecosystem all th- succeed and thrive. And so we're all constantly constructing different routes and trade routes. And it does sort of preserve this sort of decentralized nature of the ecosystem. Then like go all the way up onto the stablecoin thing. In many ways, the way the USDC announcement was structured, I think, was oh, we're coming to a lot of chains. So it just like sounds like okay, we're coming to a lot of chains. But like honestly, what I would say is the biggest thing that I have seen from the sort of discussion and conversation with USDC around Cosmo, about coming to Cosmos. So like one of the differences between Cosmos, right, is like on all the other chains except for Polkadot that they're launching on, the chain. Like The apps where the chain is going to be used and the chain where they're issuing are the same. On the Cosmos ecosystem, they are issuing on an interchain-secured chain, chain, but with the understanding that the majority of the usage is going to be on DYDX, Osmosis, Save Protocol, like all of these, you know, Agoric, all of these things. So what I would say is one of the things that's been exciting to me has been seeing USDC from go from sort of ignoring the multi-chain world and sort of we were on the like L, they were kind of affiliated with the fat protocol thesis where they're like, we'll go to the fattest protocols, we'll issue USDC there to, okay, we get it. It's all multi-chain. We got to like make USDC much more natively multi-chain which is honestly a challenge for a lot of the bridging protocols. Like when Sunny says, you know, Axel is the biggest bridge into Osmosis, it's almost all stablecoin volume. And, you know, we're bringing USDC natively to Cosmos. Most wrapped bridge tokens in general are primarily stablecoins going from where they aren't to where they are. And we're much more entering a universe of stablecoin ubiquity. Like now, you know, if you're building a new L1 and you just build IBC support, you're going to get USDC from Cosmos, from the R chain, like seamlessly and permissionlessly. Which you could never do before. So I think the circle announcement was kind of underplayed as exactly how a big deal it is, because like the literal logical implication of USDC coming onto Cosmos is now USDC is available to any L1 builder who implements the interblockchain communication protocol, and they get USDC for free.
0: I think that is a big deal. And I like the idea of USDC on Cosmos more than say something like some kind of a Bitcoin because USDC itself is already a centralized. It's an IOU for a dollar in in a bank account owned by Coinbase, right? It's not supposed to provide sovereign grade security. It's not a crypto native money at all. And so putting that on Cosmos just seems to make sense. You're not really sacrificing any of the security or any of kind of the sovereignty of the money, because it's just already a dollar. It's a digital dollar. In all of my years in crypto, I've never been hacked, scammed or lost money to a thief. And a lot of that
1: credit goes to my Ledger hardware wallet. The Ledger Nano X and the Ledger Nano S Plus Hardware wallets allow users like you and me to secure and manage all of our crypto assets and our NFTs, all with the security of storing users' private keys offline and out of reach from hackers. The Ledger Nano X is the perfect hardware wallet for managing your crypto and NFTs on the go because it connects to your phone with Bluetooth and has a nice big screen for easy transaction readings. Ledger has also upgraded the iconic Ledger Nano S and made the new Ledger Nano S device more DeFi and NFT friendly, making it the perfect Perfect hardware wallet for beginners. Ledger has truly maximized for both ease of use and security. So discover which ledger device is best suited for your journey by going and visiting shop.ledger.com. If you've been listening to Bankless, you know that we're fans of the modular blockchain thesis. The idea that blockchains will separate execution from data availability and consensus, allowing all three to become the best versions of themselves and fuel has built the fastest modular execution layer in the industry. By supporting parallel transaction execution, Fuel unlocks significantly faster throughput for the web 3 world. Fuel also goes beyond the limitations of the EVM with its own Fuel VM, which is more efficient and optimized, opening up the design space for developers. And lastly, Fuel brings a powerful developer experience with its own domain-specific language, Sway, and a supportive tool chain called Fork. With Fuel, you can have the benefits of smart contract languages like Solidity while adopting the improvements made by the Rust tooling ecosystem, letting the Fuel development environment go beyond the limitations of the EVM. If you want to learn more, there's a link in the show notes to see how you can get involved with the Fuel network. Nexo is your financial hub for all your crypto needs. Nexo lets you buy crypto instantly with your credit or debit card or via bank transfer. They also have an awesome advanced trading platform called Nexo Pro that pays you rewards when you swap crypto assets. And Nexo also lets you earn interest on your crypto in Bitcoin, ETH or other assets. And they also give you an instant crypto line of credit with as low as 0% APR. And they also give you access to a crypto backed MasterCard. Of course, earning you more crypto when you use it. So enhance your financial life with Nexo, who ensures all credit lines are over collateralized with insurance on all custodial assets. Nexo, the right place for your crypto. So click the link in the show notes to join over 5 million users who are getting the most out of their crypto.
0: Okay, so I'm going to lay out another question I guess I have for you guys. And this is, again, maybe from a dumb Ethereum Kool-Aid drinker <laughs> point of view, and, and you guys tell me where I'm wrong. Kool-Aid passer router. Yeah, okay, so layer twos versus Cosmos. Let's talk about that. Yes, the future is multi-chain. What people don't necessarily understand is that there are kind of two multi-chain visions, I think, at play, right? Not to say that both won't coexist. I'm sure they absolutely will coexist. But one is kind of a Cosmos multi-chain vision, And the other is maybe an Ethereum multi-chain vision. And let me uh, lay out the Ethereum kind of multi-chain vision because I understand that a little bit more. But the basic idea is all of the chains settle back and use the security of Ethereum, right? And so yes, the Ethereum ecosystem or universe, if you will, will have app chains. And yes, app chains are a force. Cosmos is absolutely right in its thesis about this, that app chains, are going to be a big deal. I think you guys have led the way, and probably the Ethereum community is like, oh, yeah, we get it now. Like, we understand app chains, big deal. Yes. But the way that the Ethereum community is doing app chains is basically like as part of maybe call it a layer three, as part of kind of a roll up. So you've got Arbitrum and their AnyTrust strategy. We just had the folks from ZK Sync on the podcast last week or a couple of weeks ago at the time of people will listen to this. That episode was about essentially spinning up app chains inside of what they call the layer two, which just means basically settled down to Ethereum at the end of the day, so secured by Ethereum. And the benefit of this, you guys are going to emphasize the cost, but let me tell you what the benefit is of this I see is you get Ethereum's level of security or something close to it with maybe a few minor trade-offs without having to pay for it, right? So if you spin up your own sovereign chain, there is a military, there is a security force, the police and the military you have to fund. and those are called the validators of the system. They secure the chain for you. If you're on Ethereum, you settle down to Ethereum, you benefit from Ethereum's economic security. You don't have to pay your own military and police force. And so that has both economic advantages, it seems like. You get to preserve much of the sovereignty, though you guys maybe will disagree and say, well, it's not completely your own kind of sovereignty in that app chain, but you get those benefits and then you're kind of tapped into the Ethereum network and the Ethereum community cross-chain bridging becomes much more secure. You get a lot of benefits from that path. So contrast that if you will with the Cosmos app chain model and tell me where the Ethereum strategy breaks down.
2: Well, we have a name for that system. It's called empires and colonies, right? You know? <laughs> and we're building for sovereign systems. And I was like you want to start.
3: Yeah. Okay, so that was the very memeable version <laughs> of, of the put down. I'll do the a little bit more. So, first point is part of like the dialogue between Ethereum and Cosmos which i think most people in Ethereum don't really realize this but this dialogue has been going on since like 2014 one of the co-founders of Cosmos was like an early geth contributor and geth person like these have been existence systems that inform each other and honestly we've been trying to get convinced ethereum to like move towards something like what the current vision is for a very long time we've been like Okay, guys. Yes, like we get it, but like you've got to understand the app chain thing. That has to like be part of the vision, and like it's taken a long time because like they went down this like sharding off ramp, and I was like, "What are you doing? Don't go down that off ramp. That's <laughs> and, a and terrible the plasma off ramp, and like there's, like there's a couple <laughs> so, off ramps. Yeah, like, like plasma sharding. It took them so long to like be like single slot finality, app chains. Okay. Cool. So
0: they kind of capitulated a little bit, and they came around to the Cosmos vision. I
3: hung out with Vitalik for like a week earlier this year. and I'm like, I finally convinced you. It's, it's taken seven years, but I finally convinced you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there is a friendliness always to the Ethereum community. We have always viewed each other as brothers. And... In many ways, like if that world that like you're describing of the Ethereum world, the idea of Cosmos will have succeeded. That's why we're all here. That's first of all Now, like I'll just go to like what is the specific sort of technical reason? Is in my mind, a blockchain is three things: it's an execution environment, it's a data availability system, and it's a system of bridges. Ethereum is trying to say, hey. Basically, we wanna build one of all of this. There's like one canonical place you bridge to where you post your fraud proofs, where you post your your zero-knowledge proofs. We'll provide one data availability layer called dank sharding. And then you can investigate all the execution environments that you want. The Cosmos vision is bridge wherever you want. We have IBC. You can bridge anywhere. IBC can enable you to bridge anywhere post your zero-knowledge proofs and your fraud proofs and everything wherever you want. You know, Celestia is kind of part of the Cosmos family. It is a data availability focused app chain enabling a, like a roll-up type ecosystem and you can post your stuff there. And then we've given you a free toolkit for building execution environments. And so the differences between the Ethereum ecosystem right now is one, for the most part, the execution environment toolkits are not free, which is, I think, a big reason of, you know, why DYDX, for instance, came to Cosmos and why other chains have come to Cosmos. Is there is an advantage to being like, hey, like the execution environment is not the product of some company that like raised like in a multi billion dollar valuation.
0: Zaki, with that, is that like um, Tendermint? Is that kind of the Cosmos SDK? It's just free. It's open source. Out of the box. It's easy.
3: Yeah, Tendermint, the Cosmos SDK. Are open source Apache 2 licensed yeah. public goods. Got it. You know, collaborated on by many different people, where there's many different experts all over the ecosystem who sit in chats with each other and just like work on it and debug it every day. Much of it is funded by the Atom holders, but it's like, again, we used the Atom fundraiser, we use the speculative energy around Atom to like build this public good for everyone. So that I think is the biggest difference. I also just think it's actually just the best framework for this.
2: I mean, Robert Leshner tweeted a couple months ago. He's like, you know, Compound Chain tried to build an app chain on, I think they just chose the wrong stack. They chose Substrate and spent a year banging their head against the walls and gave up. And like Robert Leshner said, like, hey, I actually think if we chose the Cosmos SDK as the stack to do this on, I think this could have worked. And part of from a builder perspective, I think there's actually just like, one of the big things is, we could just build faster with the Cosmos SDK than we could with the rollups, right? So in rollups today, you kind of have like two real frameworks right now. It's either everyone's building these like EVM compatible systems, but like I mentioned, you know the stuff we're trying to do, it doesn't work on the EVM. We need a, we need a custom framework for that. Building optimistic rollups or zk rollups for really custom state machines is actually really hard. You know, the closest thing right now is Cairo from the Starkware team. And, you know, it's really impressive what they've been able to do. But writing a Dex of the complexity of osmosis, trying to write this in this new programming thing called Cairo that's like very cutting edge, you know, it's like trying to write in like, you know, not even C, it's like a proto C versus, you know, the stuff that we can do in like Go and Rust and just like build faster. And I think build the applications and build the UX framework. So I guess like, you know, maybe one thing is how to compare a lot of this stuff is the Ethereum ecosystem and Cosmos. Yes, maybe they're moving towards the same place right now the same end goal. The Ethereum ecosystem decided to spend a lot of time focusing on you know, the things like Doc said, like the fraud proofs and validity proofs, the data availability stuff. While I think the Cosmos ecosystem has focused much more at a higher level layer of the stack at the state machine stuff. I think the Cosmosm VM is probably the best designed VM in all of crypto because how it does interchain composability. Um, the cross-chain composability that we have in Cosmos is way more advanced than anything else. You know, other ecosystems, yeah, you can bridge tokens, right? In Cosmos, we can have like DAOs on one chain, like do transactions on another chain. So, and I think maybe part of that comes from the, you know, like Zaki mentioned that all the core devs of Cosmos are app developers as well. And so that's kind of informs the decision and priorities that we do. And so that's sort of one of the trade-offs. And no, we will eventually have fraud proofs and validity proofs and all that stuff for Cosmos SDK chains as well. But we are just like, eh, we're going to build a better UX and like app features first.
0: the difference is is cosmos is starting like app down and ethereum is almost starting from kind of like um base protocol up a bit more and so i think a big part of your answer was hey the cosmos sdk is just badass if you're trying to build a chain and like there's nothing comparable in the ethereum community yet i know we've heard the optimism team talk about um you know, a Bedrock, which is kind of their version of creating kind of a, uh, almost like a WordPress for chains. We just kind of, you know, stamp them out and these would be roll-ups, but- Layer two out of the box. Yeah, layer two out of the box, but it's certainly not there yet.
2: Rollups like to talk about how much, how like secure they are and stuff. But if you go to L2beat.com, you can see the actual security properties. Oh, we know it. I would say the IBC system right now is actually more secure than most of the roll-ups in practice today.
0: Well, we also had Vitalikon who was like wondering if we'll ever get to a place in Optimistic Rollups, at least where fraud proofs actually work, because we're not there yet, right? Although I will say ZK EVMs are looking pretty good from a tech perspective and from that side of things. But yeah, it's very interesting. I guess one comment I want to make, and then just a quick question, is it does seem like because all of the Cosmos core developers are also app developers, app chain developers, probably from put on your app chain hat, you guys are just willing to use whatever app chain technology is best. Right And right now that seems to be Cosmos for you. But like, if there was a way to do kind of Cosmos plus settling on Ethereum, you might decide to migrate your app there. It's just not been the best approach to date, right? The Cosmos community has provided the best app chain tools. Um, one question though, and this is a throwback maybe to 2017, 2018. And this was, I remember at the time there were two big interoperability chains because this was the narrative. It was Polkadot and it was Cosmos. You just were talking about a failed attempt from the Compound team to actually build something in Substrate, the Polkadot tech. Has Cosmos won that war, do you think? Cosmos versus Polkadot, is Cosmos ahead? Obviously, you're probably gonna say yes because you're on Team Cosmos, but like, give me some objective reasons for why you think that's true.
3: We have many friends at Parity in the Polkadot community. ibc to Polkadot is also being built by a team called Composable Finance. Another exciting thing, just talking about all the ZK progress, is ZK-IBC has gone from being like, maybe it's like five years away to like, maybe it's like a year away. I don't know. There's like a lot of exciting teams that have, have kind of come in and started building the building blocks of ZK-IBC, which would potentially allow for much more interoperability with Ethereum. So just like kind of talk about all those things. But then like, like get to the heart of your question. Polkadot versus Cosmos, which model is winning? Dot market cap wise? is winning, but you heard in the same sentence, like basically the same presentation from Circle. USDC is launching on Polkadot, it's launching before, it's launching on Cosmos. Absolutely true. Does Polkadot have an app that's going to mint a billion dollars of USDC on it? No, right? We have DYDX. Like when USDC goes live on Cosmos, the floor mint is a billion dollars just to move the DYDX user base from starkware to cosmos it's a very hard number it's a very hard metric but it's like this is what happens when you bring the best apps to your ecosystem and you don't collect rent from your app developers you build an ecosystem in which of collaboration in which they can thrive and we can thrive you get the best apps and then as assets and stuff move to the ecosystem you get these like exponentials of scale that like are not possible in other ecosystems.
0: What's interesting about that is it feels like Polkadot has maybe done this strategy where they've tried to split the difference between Ethereum and Cosmos. And because they've been in the middle, like the middle just hasn't held. Yeah, it doesn't hold. Yeah, the middle doesn't hold. And so Ethereum is just like, hey, we're an empire, I guess. I don't think particularly think they're an evil empire, but an empire nonetheless. They're not evil. Vitalik's certainly not evil. No one would say that. but like. There's some rent extraction. There's all sorts of things, right? I get that. And then, but
3: it's not nearly. It's as it's, I don't consider it nearly as adversely selective as Polkadot because sure. you are getting these enormous network effects from it.
0: You well, know? but you, so you have that, and it's like it's kind of like a, the United States, right? And all of the chains are sort of states within the United States. There's a federalist kind of like notion to it, but Confederacy of States as well. And then you've got Cosmos on the other side, which is just like anarchy almost. It's not anarchy, but it's almost like hey, any city-state can spin up, we'll do a network if it's advantageous. We'll do Sparta and Athens. We'll make an alliance, but maybe we won't. Maybe we'll go to war, but maybe we will. It's very loose, but there's no rent collection paid to the kind of the Cosmos hub. But then you have Polkadot, which kind of tried to split the difference here, where they tried to have kind of the, uh, you know, the sovereignty of all of these uh, chain experiments, but then they asked the chains to pay rent economically back to dot holders, right? You have to rent out your parachain in the Polkadot network, right? And it just seems like that model has not picked up from an economic perspective. And this is why very much right now in crypto, maybe this has always been the case, I just see these two sides. There's Ethereum on one side, and there's Cosmos on the other. And these are the two kind of parallel ideas that are playing out in crypto before us in 2022. Yeah,
1: we've used this metaphor before. Ryan is the one that put this into my brain is that Nature has made a crab like 10, 15, 20 different times throughout history. And these crabs are unrelated to each other, like on the evolutionary line. And that's just because the crab is a good strategy. And some of the lines I've been using on this like metaphor is that if you re-roll the dice over and over and over again about how the crypto industry forms, you'll get Ethereum every single time. And it also, I think, goes to show with Ryan was just saying, you'll also get Cosmos. It is the central security model of Ethereum versus the app chain model of Cosmos. And that is like the whole thing. Maybe Bitcoiners will be like, oh, and there's also the proof of work money strategy as well. But maybe that's also true. but That's a type of app chain. <laughs> yeah, OK, sure. Yeah, it's an app chain, right. So it's one of these two flavors Maybe it's a 50-50 split, maybe it's an 80-20 split, but it's definitely not 100-0. I definitely will take that into account. I want to talk about MEV. I want to go down the MEV rabbit hole a little bit, because I think that will also help illustrate the incentive for apps to be their own app chain. Sonny, can you talk about the MEV model of Ethereum? And like we can use Uniswap as an example. Dan Elitzer just put out a fantastic article talking about Uniswap and all of the money it makes as revenue versus the money it leaks to the ecosystem. And just like real, just to speed run that article, a roughly one third of the economic energy that goes through Uniswap is captured by liquidity providers, the actual like service providers of Uniswap. About one-third goes to gas payments to transact on Uniswap, and one more third goes to MEV payments, front-running, back-running, like arbitrage opportunities. So there's this application on Ethereum called Uniswap, and of all the costs it takes users to use Uniswap, about one-third of that cost goes to profits for liquidity providers. One-third goes to gas payments, which goes to Ether holders, and one-third goes to MEV bots which are MEV bots. And so the claim here is that there's a leaking a lot of value anytime you use Uniswap. So Sonny, can you talk about this in like the Cosmos perspective and how Cosmos and app chains solve some of these MEV problems and are a less leaky ship when it comes to value capture and value accrual for apps? Yeah, sure. Dan's, that uh, was like, uh, proposal, hey, we should build, like, a uni chain. And I was like, yeah, we did. It's
2: called osmosis. Uh, (laughs) And Dan knows this. Nathan is a major investor in osmosis. Uh, But so, Anatoly from Solana had a tweet a couple months ago at this point. But he basically said, you know, he also doesn't believe in the monetary premium thesis, right? And he actually said that, like, I don't know about the monetary premium stuff. It's a little bit too hand-wavy for me. But the value of L1s is the MEV that they capture. And like you said, exactly that, like, you know, Uniswap is leaking that MEV value to the base layer of Ethereum, right? For Osmosis, you know, as a vertically integrated chain, there's sort of three sources of revenue, right? I could see it. We have our app revenue, which is like, you know, the DEX, training fees and all that kind of stuff. There's transaction fee revenue. But my take is actually that transaction fee revenue should never be a meaningful source of revenue. This is sort of my, like... Concern with the whole EIP 1559, like sound, ultrasound, money, like thesis, is that like what are you paying for with transaction fees? You're paying for like block space of a BFT compute system, and the point is that like I think that block space and BFT compute systems is going to be cheap in the long run because there's going to be so many chains, and even in the Ethereum model, as more usage moves onto rollups, the demand for base layer block space will go down massively, and like in any world if transaction fees are too low, it's not a meaningful source of revenue. If they're too high, users are not gonna use it. And, you know, Ethereum had this like two year period in the last, starting two years ago of like, oh, okay, there's really high fees, but users were still using it because there was no real alternatives, right? But especially with roll-ups and app chains and all this new stuff coming out, I don't know if users are gonna be willing to pay hundreds of dollars again for transactions. Uh, and then we kind of see this, you know, that's why a lot of stuff markets have moved to other chains. You know, NFTs are very popular on, you know, Solana, for example, right? Or games have completely moved off of Ethereum main chain altogether. The third source of revenue is the MEV capture, right? And so I was to, before we were building a DEX, we actually were just like building like MEV mitigation strategies. And so we were working on something called threshold decryption, which is a way of encrypting the mempool entirely and so that way, and only decrypting and executing after blocks have been finalized and committed. And so the model that we follow at Osmosis is mitigate bad MEV, internalize good MEV. So where do we d- draw this distinction? Bad MEV is the type of MEV when you are doing actions based off of other people's transactions, right? Because the mempool is public, You can read others' transactions and you could, you know, sandwich them, you could generalize front run them, copy their strategies, you could do all this stuff, which is like not cool. Fundamentally, that's a privacy breach. And like it is a bug that the mempools are not encrypted right now. So that's why we focus on building threshold decryption so that the mempools are encrypted. But now there's still some types of MEV that remain, right? And I call these like I don't know if good MEV is the right word, but it's not extractive MEV. You're not extracting it from anyone else. So examples would be arbing prices on osmosis relative to centralized exchanges, or even arbing prices within osmosis pools. You know, there are circular routes through pools, arbing those together. Or there's, you know, the Mars protocol is launching a lending platform on Osmosis quite soon. So, you know, triggering liquidations is another sort of good MEV. And all of these are good things, you know? You want your pools to be ARB. You want liquidations to be happening fast. But there is value in being the person to do that, right? And so how do we internalize good MEV and bring that as protocol revenue? We're working very closely with a team called Skip, who's helping us, you know, instead of letting this stuff be run by these off-chain validator cartels, right? You know, I would say, like, Flashbots not being part of the core protocol, it ends up having to be a little bit profit maximizing. When if the beauty of app chains is because your chain understands the semantics of the application built on top of it, it can be opinionated about how it orders transactions or it can do things to actually promote social good, right? We're going to make sure all trades happen first before liquidity removals happen. And like, so liquidity can't get rugged from under you. Or we can like detect Sandwiches and like be like oh this is an invalid transaction order we're gonna move these transactions around so it's not a sandwich anymore and like you can do things like that right to help continue to mitigate the bad MEV and then on the good MEV we can run automatic on chain arb bots where like you know we calculate arb cycles and we run an on chain Arbor that happens at the end of every block and captures that arb revenue it and gives it to Osmos stakers or we could have a top of the block auction in the protocol itself. So instead of relying on an off-chain system, the in protocol, you can bid to say, hey, I wanna be the first transaction in the block. And that way you can be the one to do all the ARBs and uh, liquidations and stuff. And doing it in protocol is important Because then the protocol can decide how the revenue gets shared, right? If you do it off-chain, you know, the revenue goes to, like, only the validators. And maybe we'll see a market where validators have to end up start sharing all their revenue with their delegators, right? But if you do it in protocol, we can say, oh, we want some of this MEV revenue to go to all stakers. We want some of it to go to the community pool. We want to give some of it as a kickback to users. We can, like, choose what to do with that MEV revenue, which is, I think, a very important Property.
0: Yeah, I think that's definitely the strength of the app chain model. As we move kind of this conversation from comparisons to Ethereum and from the Cosmos thesis to the world of the new Atom 2.0 economics that were released. Having gone through that paper, there are a few things that stuck out to me. And I'm gonna try my attempt at at summarizing, but you guys go in there and, and let me know what the main thrust of these changes are. It seems like before Atoms from an economic perspective, the token economics for an investor anyways, weren't really great, kind of sucked, at least did not accrue monetary premium. And Zach, you're going thumbs down. Can you talk about like, why did it suck? Thumbs down in agreement, right?
3: I Thumbs down in agreement, right? Yeah,
0: I know. Why did they suck before?
3: This was a big part of our presentation at Cosmoverse, uh, my presentation specifically. It was like, look, you can think of what Adam was foremost and the first iteration was a prototype of a proof of stake chain, right? We would say that from our point of view, that our argument is that before the Cosmos Hub launch, there was no live proof of stake chain that had really taken proof of stake economically seriously and done it in like a rigorous way from like the computer science level all the way to the economics level. I believe that Cosmos Hub was the first chain to do this, but it was a prototype of what does proof of stake look like? How can it be done in a rigorous way? Like all of these things. But it was only a prototype. And like, the best way I would describe it is also, is we have an app chain thesis. What the hell is the app of the Cosmos Hub? It doesn't appear to have an app. (laughs) So, and so, you know, both Ethan and I talked about this, and this has been a big theme of, you know, the last week of our lives, and like the preceding like nine months of pulling all these ideas together have been about, you know, okay, we would like to go out and we would like to say one, we want to make Atom a better ecosystem asset. But inherent to that idea is we must create an app for the Cosmos Hub. Why don't I let you kind of take your other, do other takeaways from the paper because I'm curious in real time getting like what you took away from it, but I can talk a little bit about. But yes, issuance is changing. We are moving towards not this exponential inflation. We think that helps define the ecosystem. We think it makes Adam closer to a monetary asset. Like all of those things, and we think those things are good. That's like first leg of the stool.
0: Let's camp on that because as a monetary maximalist, you'll note that the first thing I noticed in this paper was um, hey, the monetary policy has changed. How this is interesting. I almost wondered in the back of my mind if it's like if the Ethereum community kind of capitulated and being like, ah, oh, Cosmos, these app chain guys were right. They were right all along, right? We're gonna do more app chains in Ethereum. I almost saw maybe some uh, recognition from the Cosmos community that huh, this ultrasound money thing? Hmm, maybe we want our Atom token to actually exhibit some characteristics of money and have a better issuance policy. That's kind of what I saw, but maybe that's my biased reading of the thing. And so what I saw is previously, I think issuance for Atom token holders, was that between like 7 and 20% per year? That was the rate of issuance, new issuance in the market?
3: It's adaptive to the amount that's staked. So we target a stake rate of 67%. Because of, you know, we want to keep the, make it very expensive to attack, to like have for there to be enough liquid atom to accumulate, to actually attack the network. Right. And so basically, you know, what pulls atoms away from being there are like what's on centralized exchanges that the centralized exchanges themselves are not staking. And then all of the atoms that are out there in LP pools, all of that stuff, you know, that pushes the staking rate down. The inflation rate goes up to compensate. So we had dropped to about 7% inflation, uh, new atom issuance. And then since kind of osmosis launched and the IBC ecosystem talked about, we've been averaging about 9-ish percent in this PID loop. And that has translated into a staking APY for atoms of about 19,
0: 20%. Gotcha. And now, what are the changes? There seem to be almost two phases of these changes, like a transition phase, and then almost a steady state. In the first phase, issuance actually increases, I believe. But then in the second phase, it kind of like tapers off, and it's going to decrease to like 1%. Could you explain that piece?
3: Yeah, there's a bunch of complicated moving pieces in the issuance thing. A big part of the framework around issuance, though, is that Cosmos is taking a very different approach to liquid staking than, let's say, Ethereum has where I would say Ethereum fought tooth and nail to make it as hard as possible for like liquid staking to emerge. And it emerged anyways because the economics are so compelling. The Cosmos ecosystem has been taking an approach of, hey, we want to make sure that there are just a large variety of liquid staking providers and so that there's competition. And so you don't have a situation where a Lido-like entity becomes like super dominant. But we think on the whole, like, Liquid staking, staking derivative assets are actually really important to the security budget of the system. And the logic there is it allows people to stack their yield. So rather than saying, Atom holders, like we're going to try and like print so many atoms that we compensate you for the opportunity cost of everything else you could do with Atom, we're saying, liquid stake your Atom, take your liquid staked Atom. Go do all the other things that you could do in DeFi. Go use the app ecosystem with your liquid stake data and have it still contribute to the security budget of the Cosmos hub. So the first thesis is, so there's like probably about like six liquid staking protocols launching or in the midst of launching on top of, in the Cosmos ecosystem right now. So there's a lot of activity around that. So we're sort of projecting in the future saying, hey, we think this over the next three years, we expect these protocols will succeed. My team at Occlusion has been working really, like one of our big contributions of the occlusion team to the paper has been that we spent the last like 18 months making changes to the default Cosmos staking module to improve the UX of liquid staking. So all of that stuff, that's happening. So staking yield starts to fall on like a yearly basis in this. Now, the issuance goes up, but that is issuance to the community treasury because a lot of chains have had this idea of having like the on-chain DAO, Being able to have funds and fund something we started the cosmos hub out with a very small amount where there's only about half a percent of new issuance goes into the and so like we have about 10 million dollars i think of value in our community pool whereas you know some other l1s have will have like a third of their market cap in the community pool to like fund new things and one of the things that we're saying is in this new app vision to execute on that app vision, you need working capital. Like, we're going to have to go out and do business development. We're going to have to onboard chains onto this interchain security thing. Like, there's going to be a lot of stuff that needs to be done that wasn't really conceived of in the original Cosmos Hub. But, like, if you hold atoms, you're going to be a voter on what those funds are being doing. So, like, the extent to which it's dilutive, I think, is a little overplayed. And then we're saying, after this three-year period, there's not going to be any more new funding going into the community pool there's not into the on-chain treasury, and then we're gonna drop the staking yield basically to about
0: 1%. That makes sense. Okay, so that's the economic change for atoms and like lower issuance is the eventual outcome that'll take some years to play out. And you also mentioned liquid staking, which I noticed in the paper, making that kind of a first-class citizen, I would say in the Cosmos ecosystem and the way it's liquid staking is not a first-class citizen in Ethereum. It's kind of an app that a third party creates. And then I also noticed, like, you're posing the question, Zaki, of like, what is the app of the Cosmos Hub itself? And is the app of the Cosmos Hub not interchain security? Talk about this. And this, I think, is sort of the idea that um, you can call on Atom validators, Cosmos Hub validators, to also secure your app chain if you want. Is this the case? Is this what interchain security means?
3: Yeah. So why don't we talk about two terms? One is mesh security. The other was interchain security. Okay. Technical primitives are basically almost identical between them. They're about translating staking information from and slashing information from one chain to another chain. So, like, if you fault on one chain, you get slashed on another chain. Let's call interchain security, but like the version in which you replicate the hub validator set. So, when we started with this interchain security thing, I was like the biggest skeptic that we would find anyone who cared about it. I was like. Anyone who's really serious about building an app will like want to be under their own sovereign chain. Why would anybody else want to do this? And then we found, we found like an enormous amount of customer demand for interchain security that like we call them consumer chains. So chains that consume security from the hub. We found so much demand for it, and I'm like, it was like a shock to me. But I've understood now in the past, like what are the things that interchain security is offering that people get that is, like, appealing to people. One category of thing is there are very high-value users, like USDC, for instance, who want to be able to, like, launch, be strongly affiliated with the developer community core, the exchanges, the custodians, the community around Atom, and, like, do not want to think about tokenomics. Like, that's, like, just not something that they would, like, really at all want to do. And so... That's, like, one really strong use case, which is, like, really powerful use cases that accrue value to the whole ecosystem and accrue value to the Cosmos Hub, but, like, don't want to think about their own tokenomics at all. Other things are we are building something that's, like, actually very security sensitive, like liquid staking, where if, like, you have a major liquid staking provider and it gets taken over – there's like a cascading effect on the security of every other chain that is like running on top of their liquid staking protocol. So those chains have also wanted to affiliate uh, more closely with the Cosmos hub. And then there's the sense of, hey, I want to be able to build like and really target just like the network effects around Atom, the wide holder base, all of that stuff. These are three teams that we see popping up over and over again. And frankly, this like again, has finally given us a sense of what is the purpose of the Cosmos Hub, which is to enable these things to succeed.
0: I guess another thing I noticed was something that you guys are doing with MEV. Can I add one more thing about the hub
2: and like how it relates in the mesh security vision?
0: Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Do that first. So.
2: I taught a class on Switzerland at UC Berkeley. It's my favorite country in the world.
0: You taught a class on Switzerland, on the subject of Switzerland.
2: Yes. Eight lectures, talked about history, politics, economics, like everything. It's all on my website.
0: The famously very neutral country.
2: Yes. (laughs) So how did Switzerland become, it's one of the richest countries in the world, right? And there's many things that, that went into that, right? I think the role of its credible neutrality that it's played throughout history was very important. One thing that people maybe don't realize is that Switzerland, it's neutral, but it actually had one of the best militaries in the world. And even till today, it actually is one of the best militaries in the world. But from like, you know, the period of like 1200 until like Napoleon, basically, they were like Europe's mercenaries. They were the best, most like respected military in all of Europe. But because they were neutral, they acted as mercenaries and went and like, defended whoever would pay for them. And I see the role of the Cosmos hub to be this credibly neutral system that is a, you pay it for security and you get this like amazing economic security from it.
0: So it's a military for hire. Military for hire. It's like,
2: you know, you don't want to have to come up with your own military. Well, you know, you can pay the Cosmos hub and you'll, that's the role I feel that it plays in this mesh security vision.
1: So the idea here is that app chains, maybe at Genesis don't Mm -hmm. do this because they're at Genesis. Mm -hmm. But then their product market fit happens, their utility is proven out, their value increases. And then they can start to be like, hey, you know what we can afford? Security. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so then they start to tap into this like credibly neutral army, which then can secure them. I would say it's almost the other direction.
3: I'll just say one of the things that is like really cool and I think unique about our vision of shared security is we have specced out the whole system to the extent where you can seamlessly... Like just through like the standard kind of upgrading application upgrading process that we use in Cosmos, both join uh, Interchain Security without disrupting your IBC connections or anything, or leave Interchain Security. So you know communities. It's not like they've like if they like find the hub excessively value extractive for the security that it provides. It'll be very possible to leave. It'll be possible to go join someone else's shared security environment too or like be your own sovereign app chain, again, this is like a long-term commitment. We're creating market forces in Cosmos that ensure that this is a pluralist environment and that like we are not creating any sort of artificial rent-seeking. Like the hub has to really provide its value. Otherwise, no one will do this.
0: Okay.
1: Sonny, did you want to add something?
3: No, you were asking about the MEV thing. So let me just cover the MEV thing. Because the MEV has been like, MEV censorship, all of these things, Hugely relevant to the ethereum community, we've heard a little bit about what does meV look like in the pure app chain thesis, but one of the things that we you know I've talked a lot about with the meV you know flashbots teams we also have some very good meV teams inside of cosmos, uh Skip, and mechatech uh, who are you know doing also like building you know businesses around meV in the cosmos, and one of the things that like Is built into it is again we don't think transaction fees will ever be high like we don't think transaction fees will be a meaningful amount of revenue but in a world where there's like atom usdc other assets that are major fiat or on-ramps between cosmos into the cosmos ecosystem at least one hop of every economic sort of loop or economic activity will frequently start within, let's say, call it the Atom economic zone. The interchain secured area of Atom will probably be a place where a lot of economic activity originates. And the ability to sort of arbitrage that, so statistical arbitrage, result, not sandwiching or anything, but just knowing, hey, someone has minted a whole bunch of USDC and we see them issuing an IBC packet, that kind of information is likely to be valuable. That block space is likely to be valuable. So one of the things that we're proposing in the Hub 2.0 white paper is that like one of the, again, applications on the Hub is this block space market that any chain in the ecosystem, whether it's interchain secured or not, can opt into participating with and say, we're actually going to package a product that is like a better product than like what Skip and Mechatech could build right now, which is the guaranteed ability to like have a transaction at the top of the block across many blocks over some contiguous period of time. And that the hub is a natural place to like hold this auction and execute. This.
1: So right now, Cosmos, the Atom token is coming in at 23 on CoinGecko, the total coin market cap. And It's kind of behind some tokens that I'd never really would expect it to be behind, like Litecoin. Is it still behind Ripple? A lot of tokens (laughs) are sadly behind Ripple. Uh, Litecoin is the one that comes to mind. It's right before it at 22. doesn't make any sense to me because it's Litecoin. All it's got is Lindy. Do you guys envision that Adam actually enters the top 10 crypto assets in the future at some given amount of time?
3: If that doesn't happen, I will have considered that like the work that I've been doing will not have been a success. I believe that this work that went into Adam 2.0, when executed, creates a top 10 asset. And if the market doesn't agree with me as an entrepreneur, it's like you go out, you bring your best ideas to the market, the market punches you in the face. And so we'll see. I would say that is explicitly my goal, in this Adam 2.0 work.
1: Sonny, any thoughts?
2: Um, I'll admit I'm not as focused on the Atom side of things. I focus on the cosmos level, at the vision, and then you know I'm very focused on the osmosis chain. Osmosis, we're trying to build the decentralized version of Binance. Binance
1: is a top 10 asset, and Cosmo will be one day too. Zachy, the Ethereum ecosystem and community, like largely on the page of like, yeah, we're going to flip Bitcoin one day. Is there a part of Cosmos that's like, Adam is going to flip ETH one day? I can only tell you my feelings. I can't. I have become really probably more
3: despondent about Bitcoin's long term future than I ever have been. I own more ETH today than I've ever owned in the past. I own much more Atom, but I own more ETH than I've ever owned before. I own more ETH than Bitcoin. I think Ethereum is doing a great job and like deserves, is like the better representative of the cryptocurrency community, the values that I believe in. And I feel more aligned with Ethereum than in the past. I'm not building with this with like, oh, I have to flip ETH. I need
0: to flip all of the shit that is between me and Ethan. <laughs> <laughs> slow to do that, <laughs> <Certainly, yeah. laughs> Guys, this has been a, a lot of fun. I, I really feel like um, listeners at the end of this episode will understand the Cosmos ecosystem so much more, including uh, how it's going to evolve in the future. And uh, what's so interesting to me is these two communities, Ethereum and Cosmos is like, you see Ethereum veering towards Cosmos, right? Getting more into app chains, and this sort of thing. You also see in places, Cosmos veering more towards Ethereum, at least with atoms and kind of monetary policy improvements. And, you know, it's uh, interesting to see these two communities. One thing I've respected out of both is they are both a community of builders. Like Cosmos is building a lot and it's hard to be bearish On builder activity. When you get 1,500 people at a conference in a bear market and you know they're there because they think they're building something cool, that is special and that is certainly something to watch. So we're definitely watching it at Bankless. I guess last question for you both. So let's fast forward. You know, five years into the future, ten years into the future, where do you think Cosmos ends up? What does crypto look like, and what does the Cosmos ecosystem look like? Maybe five years into the future, or ten years from the future, or just any point in time where you feel like the vision is fulfilled, Zaki, over to you.
3: My expectation is is that by the time the vision is fulfilled, most people who use cryptocurrency-based technologies will kind of not really know whether or not they're using a Cosmos thing, an Ethereum thing, and a Solana thing. And hopefully what I want is them just to have used, be used a thing where they are not being exploited. This comes down to the question, I think, which, you know, I have a good way of articulating now. Digital markets in the future will be all markets. And I'm building for a future in which digital markets are open source public goods. That's like flat out what I've tried to accomplish. I don't really care about anything else. I just view the tools we've built as Cosmos as an essential part of getting there. I also think Ethereum largely shares this vision um, and so feel very aligned with Ethereum. So if we're successful, we will have open source digital markets that provide economic coordination for the entire human race. And it like works, you know, and no one is exploiting or extracting red because you can't. And that is the utopia.
0: Open source digital markets. That's Zaki's utopia. What's yours, Sonny?
3: Mine is, you know, like I mentioned, I really love
2: organic Hayekian systems. And I think that like rebuilding the infrastructures of society away from these like very top-down organized systems to like bottom-up localized systems where, you know, people make bilateral treaties, multilateral treaties, build communities, and it meshes all the way up, right? And I I really believe in ideas like web of trust-based systems, you know, I started working on, one of the reasons I started working on Cosmos was I, I just thought that I, I really wanted to work on proof of stake and I was working on that. I thought the Cosmos team was the most farthest along on proof of stake actually. And so now that like as of last month or two weeks ago, over 50% of market cap is running on proof of stake. I'm like, that's awesome. But now what's like the next thing? I think there's things we can do even better than proof of stake. I really believe there's like a world where we can build like a web of trust based consensus protocol that will actually be even more decentralized than proof of stake. And I think there's like, I don't know, I just want to keep tearing down like centralized or even high levels of communication required systems and build more organic mesh systems.
1: So at Bankless, we use the metaphor of exploring the frontier quite frequently and the Cosmos name actually is very conducive to this. So say a listener is listening to this and they're on board and they want to go explore the Cosmos. In Ethereum, we have like MetaMask. You gotta have MetaMask. What's like the MetaMask of Cosmos, or just like what are the tools that listeners should probably start with in order to go explore Cosmos?
2: You should go get a Kepler wallet, which is actually built by our team, but you go on a centralized exchange, buy Atom, which is the you know entry point into Cosmos today, you IBC it to Osmosis, do a swap for a token called Stars. You IVC it to Stargaze and go buy your first Bad Kids NFT. That's your onboarding path. That's your to-do list.
3: Yeah. I think if you just look at that, okay, you've got like an NFT app, an onboarding place, a DEX, and just use that experience and say, hey, is this, how different does this feel from Ethereum? But then go look at how much you spent on gas. (laughs) (laughs) And we're getting it better. Right now, each of those steps requires a click. And a signature, yeah. At least on osmosis,
2: our view is that every click loses half of our users. And so we're working on a lot of the tooling to like make that entire process feel like
0: one click. Guys, what we'll do is uh, after the show, before this is actually published, so by the time you're listening to this Bankless listener, we will have a little tutorial for everything Sunny just said that we can link to on the Bankless website. So uh, you could see Sunny and Zaki's ideas on how to get started with Cosmos and start exploring the Cosmos. Guys, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Action items for you bankless listeners. The first is we'll include a link to the Cosmos Adam 2.0 white paper. Check that out. Also referenced was the inevitability of Unichain, an article by Dan Elitzer. And of course, we'll include a link that I just mentioned to that tactic on how to get started with Cosmos.
2: Crypto is risky. You can lose what you put in, but we're
3: heading west. This so is the frontier. It isn't for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the Banquist journey. Thanks a lot.